Today's reading is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Pressing on toward the goal. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Happy New Year to you. Uh, It's great to have you here with us this morning and start the new year together as a church family. Um, I don't know how uh, you think, how 2016 went for you, but half of the internet has declared that 2016 was one of the worst years in history. Uh, These are some of the things that happened in this past year. To our surprise, Donald Trump was elected as the President of the United States. In Hong Kong, two logical uh, members were elected and then uh, disqualified. And then there were bombings in Brussels. The extremist um, uh, drove a truck into a crowd in Nice. Remember that? He killed 84, uh, 86 people. 19-year-old uh, man in Normandy went into a church and uh, cut uh, the throat of a priest. Uh, Olympics happened, but then the whole thing was uh, there was a long prelude and the scare about Zika virus. Brexit happened in 2016, and it seemed like it was a particularly bad year for celebrities, older celebrities. These are all the people who died. Carrie Fisher, David Bowie, Leonard Cohen, Gene Wilder, Anton Yelchin, Muhammad Ali, Prince, Alan Rickman. Well, there were good things. I mean, in 2016, there, were, there was the Olympics, um, the Pokemon Go happened, Jonathan and Annie Wong got married, uh, and Van de Castile family joined us in 2016. But as you look back, as you took that moment uh, last night to think about how 2016 was, how would you evaluate your year? How did it go for you? Uh, it's an easy thing for companies because for companies, at the, at the end of the day, it's all, all about the bottom line. Uh, you know, in, at the, as the financial year ends, uh, they'll count the profit and they'll count the losses. They'll report the losses. But for us, I know that it was a tough year for many of us. There are families here who had multiple members uh, go, go to uh, the hospital. A couple of us went through cancer and chemotherapy and radiotherapy. We have baby Micah still struggling to survive, and there are miscarriages and struggles in marriage as well. 
back then, in year 62, when Paul, um, when many scholars believe that this year was written, that this letter was written, it wasn't a particularly good year for him either. He was writing this letter, letter to the Philippians from a Roman prison cell. But if you look at the tone of the letter, if you know anything about Philippians, you, wouldn't be, you, you would read it and you wouldn't be able to tell by the tone of the letter that he is writing from the prison. He seems happy. Back in chapter 1, 12 verse, and, uh, verse 12 and 13, he writes, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He's glad he's in prison. It was a good year for him because it served to advance the gospel, he says. And when he give, gives advice in this letter... Uh, these are words uncharacteristic of a man who is suffering in prison. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing, chapter 2, verse 18. And then he says famously, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice, chapter 4, verse 4. And how is it then that Paul, still in prison, is rejoicing? How is it then that he's able to write this letter full of joy? Don't you want to be like him, knowing how to be content, as he says, in every situation? Wouldn't that be handy in 2017? Well, this is a secret. Listen to these words in our reading in verse 7 and 8 in chapter 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What he says is that he knows Christ. And knowing him is far greater than anything that he is going through. When one has Christ, the normal computation of profit and loss do not, uh, do not uh, apply anymore. Because of Christ, nothing that happens, whether that's prison, sickness, or illness, or even stoning, can take away Paul's joy. He rejoices in all situations. He knows the secret of contentment, and that is having Christ. That is living for Christ. That is being united with Christ. And that's because he says in our text that he now has righteousness that comes from him and not from himself. You know, before he was striving, striving to get that himself. He didn't cheat, lie, obey, and he obeyed the Sabbath. He did good. But when he did all those things, he did it for himself. His privileges meant a great deal for him because it meant that he was better than other people. It set him apart from others. His good works meant a great deal to him because it proved to himself and to others and hopefully to God that he was a worthy person. But when Christ took hold of him and showed him that all these things were given for him, free of charge, that he paid the price, he was righteous because of Christ. He was a worthy person because Jesus died for him. He became the Son of God, a Son of God, adopted Son of God because of Jesus. He found that he was loved without having to achieve anything. So all that he counted as profit, all the things that he was very proud of, 
he now realized that they stood in the way of receiving Christ's righteousness as a free gift. He knew that they were rubbish, positively stinking garbage that distracted him from, the, from receiving the glories of Christ's gift. So the striving ceased. Sabbath rest came, and the life of praise and thanksgiving flowed out of him. He wanted all others to know Christ as well. This, that love and that righteousness and this God who has been so generous to him. And 2016 was a tough year for many people. But here's what I want to remind all of us as we start this new year. And no matter how you rank 2016, and no matter how you think 2017 will go, you have Jesus. You have his righteousness. You have God himself with you. You are loved by God. You are worth something because you have Christ. You know that Christ died for you. And you cannot forget this because you have something that's greater than, uh, uh, greater. Uh, you have something that is of such worth that you can consider everything else rubbish. When Christ becomes everything, every loss becomes insignificant. Each loss stings less. I don't know if you've had this experience. Um, you know, when you were a child, you had, like, I, I used to do things like this. Uh, I, I, I was given a quarter or something. You know, I held it, I clutched it tightly and because it was something that's great for me. And, uh, you know, but then you play and you do other things. At some point, you let it go and you've lost it. And you cry and cry because you lost this. Um, and the parents, you know, they come, and then they go, actually, well, what's wrong? And you go, I've, I've lost my quarter, I've lost my dollar, or whatever. Uh, and so the parents comfort you. And uh, it is a big deal for you, uh, obviously, because it was your money. <laughs> but then it would be a strange thing to, for you to continue to cry after an hour. If you are inconsolable because of this, it would be an un, it's an illogical thing. And when the parents come, they say to you, well, why are you still crying? It's okay. You know, that quarter is nothing. You have me. I am your father, and you are loved. Everything that I have is yours. That's what Paul discovered, that everything that he wanted was found in God, that everything that he lost actually didn't mean very much. If it stood in the way of receiving God's love, God's righteousness, then actually it was positively rubbish. That's what it means to know Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. The normal computation of profit and loss what was good, what went well, what, what, what didn't go well, it does not count like that anymore. It's a wonderful thing to know Jesus. But also, being a Christian means living at, at one with him, being united with him. And this theme of unity is, uh, is introduced by the language of knowing Christ in our passage. Paul says he knows Christ in verse 8, doesn't he? 
But isn't it strange, if you look down in verse 10, he says he wants to know Christ again, as if he didn't know him before. It could mean that he wants more information about Jesus. He wants to get to know him better. Married couples, of course, are finding out that uh, they, they, there are always new things uh, to discover. Yesterday, uh, Mary was massaging my, my head uh, as we were watching TV, and he, she said, your head is really big. <laughs> uh, but this knowing, what Paul is saying, I think it means uh, something slightly different. It's, it's not just acquiring more information. I think he, he, he's uh, using a Hebrew word. He has the Hebrew word know, to know in mind when he, when he writes this. When Adam knew his wife, it meant that Adam and Eve became one, together, united. Um, and I think that's the kind of knowing that Paul seems to be talking about, that he wants to be united with Christ. He wants to be one with Christ. We often talk about how Christ lives in our hearts, how Holy Spirit has come into our, our lives. But then we belie this fact by, by living our lives our own way, doing our own things. It's as if we are two separate lives. We've invited Christ in our lives, but we live our lives our own way. Is the Spirit really the King? Is Christ really, does he really dwell in our life? Because Paul wants to be united with him. And perhaps our New Year's resolution reflects that too. You know, often when we make New Year's resolution, it has nothing to do with living one with, as one with Christ. It's more about eating healthier, sleeping more, maybe exercising or losing weight. But Paul, having tasted Christ, he wants to be one with him. He wants Christ's life to be his life, to take over his life. And if you know the letter to the Philippians, it's, it's astonishing how he identifies his life as one with Christ. Remember, he feels joy in the prison cell because Christ is preached. He and Christ is, are, are one. He asks for prayers that the Christ will be exalted in his body in chapter 1. Uh, whether by life or by death. He famously says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's so little of himself, what he wants, what kind of car he wants to drive, how much money he wants to save this year, he, uh, who he wants to marry, he, where he wants to go for his holidays. But there's so much of Jesus here. He wants Christ to be exalted through him in his life and in his death. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul's desire was to know Jesus, to be united with him. And he knew that actually he knows exactly what he wants because he knows that this wouldn't be a comfortable life. After all, Jesus lived for other people. And Paul knows that that's exactly what it means to be united with him, to be poured out so that others could have life. Isn't that why he says he wants to participate in Christ's suffering, becoming like him in his death? That's what Jesus' life was about, giving up of himself, giving up of his time and energy and glory, privileges, even his own life, so that others could have life. And that's why Paul's in prison. He's in prison because he gave up his privileges, having been united with him, with, with Christ, so that others might hear this good news and have life. 
is that in our New Year's resolution? And of course, this isn't how things end or how things started. Remember, if you look down to verse 10, he started out by saying he wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection. And that's how he ends in verse 11 as well. So somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. And this isn't works righteousness. He made it clear that it's Christ's righteousness uh, that achieved his salvation through faith. He receives that through faith. But knowing Jesus has to mean unity with Jesus. And that is living a life that is shaped like the cross. But if we live it, if we are united with him, he is also sure that you can experience the power of Christ's resurrection now. And you will, even when you die, even if you die, God will raise him up as God raised Jesus. We will experience Christ's power of the resurrection. So once again, as we begin a new year, friends, I want to ask, what kind of a life do you want to live? And what kind of a year do you want 2017 to be? Do you want to know Christ more? And are you ready then to live a cross-shaped life? And what if every member of our church did this? If we lived not for our own gain, but for others. If we counted it our joy to give our energy for others, to give our money for others, to be tired for others, to go the extra mile for others. What a year 2017 will be. And what if other people and the uh, people who are out there who don't yet know Jesus saw us doing this? Wouldn't they also want to come to know Christ? It's a tall order. And at times it's intimidating to think that actually Christian life entails all of this. But isn't it comforting also to know that no one is perfect? And Paul knows that he's imperfect. Verse 12, not that I've achieved all of this or have arrived at my goal. Although, remember, he said that he considered himself faultless in regards to the law. He now knows how far, uh, uh, how, uh, how far he fell short of God's glory and how much of God's grace has reached him. And that's why he calls us brothers and sisters in verse 13, people who are on equal standing before God because we're all saved by God's grace. But then he says in verse 12 that he presses on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. Jesus has saved him to be holy, to to be righteous, to be joyful, to be loving. All these things, he says he presses on to make it his present reality. He wants to make that his own. Subjectively, he's resolved to become more and more like Christ day by day. And I'm sure, once again, a few of you made a New Year's resolution to run. I'd love for us to renew our spiritual resolve, to run the Christian life, Christian race, with the sort of seriousness and focus. We do this because living a Christian life, living this selfless, Christ-like life, cross-shaped life, is difficult, and we need to anticipate the difficulties. And the word, press on, 
is an athletic word, one that implies hardship and, and strain. Who knows, once again, what 2017 will have in store for us, what kind of a hardship we will face. But will you press on this year? Will you persevere when you don't want to serve anymore but want to be selfish? You want to live your life for yourself, not for God, not for others. When you want to keep the fruit of your labor all for yourself, will you press on? And to press on, we also need to focus. Listen to how laser-focused Paul is in verse 13. But one thing I do. It's but one thing. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. His eyes are on that one thing. He concentrates all his energy in straining towards, racing towards that prize. He says he forgets what's behind. Of course, not the grace of Christ he's forgetting, but setting, along, setting aside whatever that hinders him from focusing and running this race. He sets it aside. And he says in verse 14 again, I press on to, uh, toward the goal to win the prize. What's the goal? What's the prize? Oh, he doesn't mention exactly here, but the Bible and Paul in other places mention it plenty of times. It might be our Lord's commendation. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Maybe it's the crown of righteousness, the unfading crown of glory. Or what no eye has seen, nor heard, nor heart of man has conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. The biggest prize of being with God himself. Will we be focused? Will we persevere? Roger Bannister was the first miler to ever break the four-minute mile, a feat for many, uh, many people thought was impossible. He broke it in May 1954, and a month later, John Landry, uh, too, broke that mile time. So when they met in August 7th, 1954, during the British Empire Games in Vancouver, Canada, it was called the Miracle Mile, featuring two fastest human beings, two fastest milers in history. And Bannister strategized that he would relax during the third lap and save everything for his finishing run, finishing lap. But as they began that third lap, John Landry went all out, making a fairly substantial lead. Immediately, Bannister adjusted his strategy, and he started to run as fast as he could, gaining on Landry, and that lead was cut to half. And at the bell for the final lap, they were even. And Landry began running faster and faster, and Bannister followed. And Bannister felt that he was going to lose if Landry didn't stop, didn't, uh, did not slow down. And that famous moment came, and a moment that's replayed um, and reprinted a thousand times as the last stride before the home stretch, as the crowd roared, Landry couldn't hear where, where Bannister was. And so he turns. His, um, uh, he, he looks back, breaking the concentration and breaking his stride, and Bannister launched that attack and won that race by five yards. In order for us to run that race, the Christian race, we need to focus on the end goal. We need to focus on Christ and what he has done for us, and if we look back, 
well, that won't finish well. We won't finish well. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. You know, 66% of the people who make New Year's resolution break it within a month. 80% of people who make New Year's resolution break it um, in, within three months. But this is not... Uh, this is not kind of thing that we, need, we, can, we can afford to break. This is our life. This is what we resolve to do with our lives. And if we think about it, if we take a step back to what it means to be a Christian, you will know that it's an immense privilege. You will know uh, that knowing Christ surpasses everything else that we have, that we can actually consider everything rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus. So why don't we reflect on that as we start the new year? And then resolve to be united with Christ, to know him more fully, to live like him more fully this year, to take that path in the cross-shaped life. To live like him. And it'll be hard, of course. But let's press on. Let's resolve to press on. Let's resolve to focus on him and encourage each other to strain forward, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Your son, we thank you for the righteousness that he has won for us. We thank you for the relationship that he's restored. We thank you that we are loved unconditionally, that we have the status of being your children. Lord, we know that this is an immense privilege. Help us to reflect on it as we start this new year. And help us now to resolve, for us to resolve our lives more fully united with your Son. To know him more deeply, that our lives will be, um, that it will be evident in our lives in 2017 that we know Jesus because of the way that we live. And we know that this isn't going to be easy. So help us to set our eyes on you and what you have won for us. And help us to forget what is in the past. And help us to look forward. Look forward and live our lives entirely for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.